Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Hackers target another big retailer as Neiman Marcus gets hit. The U.S. dollar is weaker this morning after the soft U.S. jobs report on Friday. And Asia stocks look set for a mixed day of trading. Investors will weigh a seemingly weaker economic backdrop against a taper of the taper. In other words, will the Fed pull back on its plan to pull back on monetary stimulus? First, a couple of teases for your breakfast. Puzzling because it is such a strange number, the 74,000 jobs that were created. Even if you add in the revisions from last month, you're still at half of what consensus was, and it's inconsistent with lots of other data. So Mohammed El Arian there from PIMCO talking about how confusing that data was. And this one from Robert Wolf. Uh, he is the former U.S. chief of UBS. He tries to put it all in perspective. We had 74 we had an increase of 38 and we had 241 last month that's a total of 356 that's if you take the average that's about 178 the average for the year right okay has been about 180 okay so if you look over the last two months when everyone was shocked by the increase in november okay all we did was flatline Okay, so we'll take a closer look at that in uh, just a few minutes. In our featured segments, we will be talking with a co-founder of a new website dedicated to the buying and selling of second-hand luxury goods. Alexis Zira of Luxify will be sharing some thoughts about the opportunities out there for online retailing in Asia. And we'll be speaking with Sokjen's Wei Yao and also Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent based in Washington. We'll get you these markets here in Asia in just a moment. The dollar has slumped. A little. A stronger yen hits Japanese equities, but it would be good for Hong Kong. And we do see our own futures here in Hong Kong up 123 points at 22,986. Well, as you can hear from my voice, uh, a lot more of the guests and a lot less of me today as we look at uh, one of the stories that we're focused on this morning. What is actually happening in the U.S. economy? U.S. employers hired the fewest workers in about three years in December. And as you heard earlier, some think it's no big deal. Others believe that the U.S. is avoiding recession in name only. Well, we'll set that ladder aside for just a moment. Here's someone who just blamed the weather. Seasonal factors are very, very important. Obviously, weather has a big impact on construction, but it also has an impact on retail spending. Um, again, tough weather. Uh, people tend to stay at home a little bit. They're, they're not out shopping. Uh, leisure and hospitality. And, of course, uh, teachers in and out of school. Uh, all of those seasonal factors really do matter. So the weather got the blame from quite a few people. Here's someone who blames regulation, or as he puts it, process. Between Sarbanes-Oxley's regulations, uh, Dodd-Frank, as well as just complicated businesses, we've created so much process in organizations that it's created a, a real malaise of getting things done. We see simplification reverting back to the individual where you have more responsibility, and we think that will unleash some of the hiring as well. And what might be the impact on the U.S. Federal Reserve? A couple of quick comments here from Scott Brown at Raymond James and Jim Glassman over at J.P. Morgan. Um, we've had this debate about whether the Fed would go uh, $10 billion, uh, in a reduction in the asset purchases every policy meeting or perhaps $20 billion at every other policy meeting. Uh, this su suggests certainly they may wait until uh, the, uh, the March meeting. Uh, to decide uh, there, there's plenty of time to sort of observe these trends. Well, I think, I think the market has largely discounted the tapering. So the real issue now is 
when will the Fed start to move the funds rate? And I think we've got a couple of big hurdles to clear before that all mm-hmm. starts, and that's getting the country back to full employment, getting inflation moving up. Okay, so we'll talk to Barry Wood in just a moment. Uh, there was another interesting news note out. Neiman Marcus is the latest company to be hit by a cyber attack. The retailer says that hackers stole payment card information from an unknown number of customers. Neiman Marcus representatives said the company's credit card processor notified them about this potential breach back in the middle of December. A subsequent investigation found that there had been an intrusion. And it is the second cyber attack on a national retailer in recent weeks. Target on Friday said that its massive data theft before Christmas was a lot more uh, extensive than it thought. Target now says 70 million customers may have been compromised. Well, good morning now to Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent. Barry, good day to you. Good morning, Brian, and I hope you get over that cold very quickly. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, we'll be drinking lots of hot water, I think, through the morning. So, good, good, good chance for you guys to talk uninterrupted. I won't. Uh, I, I will not try to intercede too often. Um, this was a puzzling report, as Mohammed El Arian said, uh, disturbing in one sense because here you had the Fed starting to taper because it thought things were getting better than this. What's your take? Well, yes. Uh, again, I'm not going to challenge Mr. El Arian, but. Um I, you know, this is extraneous, and I, I think it may be an aberration. The fact is, Brian, the market really did expect double this number and even more. So it was a big surprise. But again, if you go to the market and look at the reaction on Wall Street, there was uh, initially a drop and then it recovered. So I think the market has taken this uh, jobs report in stride. We're not getting too carried away by that reduction in the unemployment rate because we know people dropped out of the labor force. And it takes some of that sunny optimism I've been expressing in recent weeks right out of my sails. So uh, I'm a little bit sobered by the report as well. Yes, I mentioned earlier that uh, some houses, uh, one in particular, the Reorient Group, thinks that uh, the U.S. is really not in recession in name only. And it says that hours worked declined in December by a tenth of an hour. And that is the equivalent of a loss of 718,000 jobs in a labor force of 247 million. Uh, also citing that labor force participation dropping pretty significantly. People are just quitting the workforce. Um, What does that tell you? Well, it tells us that we've got distortions and we have lack of balance. And clearly, the reduction in the labor force is a very serious problem. I wasn't aware of what you said initially about the hours worked, but I'll accept that. The the fact is that in terms of the older workers who've been unemployed for a long time, they're having real trouble finding replacement jobs. And in you, as I have talked in the past, if there are replacement jobs, it may be of half the rate of pay, the annual salary that they got. So that's not a strong incentive for people to go back to work. But this is clearly a sobering report. Yes. And the reason that we've seen a little bit of a mixed reaction in markets is that, of course, it may mean that the Fed will pull back on its um, on its move to reduce stimulus. Now, we don't know what that move was meant to be, whether it was um, you know, every month doing something or whether it was alternating months. But at least in markets, 
we see here in Asia, Seoul is higher this morning. I mentioned that Hong Kong futures were up. That's because for us, uh, a weaker dollar is uh, is good news. Uh, in Australia, though, the index is a little bit down. And also, um, I don't see any trading in Japan. They may have a holiday there, but I'll get that checked out. But it did look like um, the Japanese futures, at least as traded uh, in Chicago late Friday night, were pointing lower. Uh, so the markets are kind of mixed. Um, I guess that's to be expected. Well, I think so, Brian. Look, there are lots of mixed signals coming out of the economy. I think maybe the most worrisome is that the earnings are unlikely to be as strong as expected. What we saw with Alcoa reporting last week, and the stock went down sharply, other companies are going to report, I think, that the outlook looking into 2014 is not as robust as some of those optimists would have said two months ago or even last month. And then you add to this the fact that we've had some very severe weather in most of the United States, certainly the northern parts, over the last uh, 30 days now. So we're not going to see rapid, rapid growth in the economy, not initially. But as to the Federal Reserve, which you reference, I think there the issue is credibility and not surprising the market. And with a transition at the Fed, with Janet Yellen taking over at the end of the month, I think they're going to be cautious. If they think the market wants a slight tapering in January, I think they'll satisfy that desire. Yes, and um, lower interest rates wouldn't uh, wouldn't hurt too much, at least in the short term. Uh, the ten-year yield dropped ten basis points on Friday, and there may be a little more downward movement. Uh, some people had noted that bond yields had not been shooting up even prior to that report. Uh, walk us through how slightly lower interest rates could be good for housing and also for automobiles. Well, you're right. And I think uh, 2.86 on the 10-year is uh, indeed quite a back-off. But, you know, come back to this Philadelphia American Economics Association meeting of a week ago. The consensus that I heard from, well, five or six economists was that there's going to be a gradual increase in long-term rates by the end of the year, maybe going up to only 3.2, 3.3. Well, that would be indeed very gradual. But as to your question, if the long-term rate is going to stay at 2.8 for a while, that does make the mortgage market more attractive. And it certainly makes the car market more attractive because most competition in the auto industry is such that they're extending out their auto loans into a very long period and they're offering zero interest rates initially just to get people in. If the market is going to strengthen, as many people think it will, lower rates will allow the companies to keep those incentive rates low for a longer period of time. As to housing, we've seen some good reports on housing and, of course, the mortgage market, which has been pretty weak because of rising rates, if there's any indication that long-term rates, 30-year mortgage rates, are going to come down slightly, that would give a boost to the housing market. Other than what we've talked about, what are you looking at this week? Well, I think mostly it's earnings that are going to be coming, and I think our attention will shift to Europe because we've got Davos coming up in uh, about uh, five, seven days' time. And more immediately, we've got the auto show in Detroit. There's transition in Detroit, Brian, and we've got a woman heading General Motors. We've got Fiat completely in control of Chrysler, and we've got Alan Mulally ending the suspense. He's going to stay at Ford. So I think that um, probably we'll see a little splash of optimism out of Detroit, 
and I think we'll see some good news on housing, and I think we'll see some weak numbers on earnings. We've got a woman running GM, a woman at the helm of the U.S. Federal Reserve. Is the next U.S. president going to be a woman? <laughs> I wouldn't be at all surprised if that were the case, and her, her initials might be HC. Yeah. Let's not forget that IBM has got a female in charge. So this is the, uh, the decade, maybe, of the, of the female. Yeah, well, the Republicans uh, may want to have something to say about that, but uh, that's a a discussion for another day. Thank you, Barry. Uh, Barry Wood, RTHK's international economics correspondent, joining us here on Money for Nothing. The time is now 15 minutes after 8 o'clock. Say good morning now to Wei Yao, China economist at Societe Generale. Um, good morning to you. Um, not that, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm actually uh, quite uh, interested in getting your take on the latest data that we saw, because the on the trade data the exports were pretty disappointing, but the imports were actually slightly encouraging, and it seems to suggest that people are spending in China. Um, the latest data, what does it mean to you? Um, actually, we think the exports are not as bad as it looks, because there's a base effect, and also the base effect was due to um, the problem that uh, starting late 2012, increasingly there was more capital inflows disguised as trade flows hidden in, uh, hitting the trade data, and which pushed the base much higher. So if you look at the underlying trend, the month-over-month growth, um, you know, seasonal-adjusted numbers, they're actually still reasonably um, resilient. So we actually still think it's a gradual recovering trend. As for the imports, um, it is clear that at least until the end of 2013, um, the the domestic um, demand, especially investment demand, still seems quite healthy. Yes, that that would be nice. Um, when you look at um, you know the recent economic data beyond this trade data at the end of the week, uh, it has been mostly disappointing. Um, yet you seem to be at least reasonably optimistic. Why? No, it's just <laughs> the data says what it says, right? But, but I, I do I do have uh, my concern that um, going forward, uh, the growth still is gonna is still gonna de- uh, decelerate. In fact, uh, we actually have a um, quite bearish call for the GDP growth this year, 6.9%. And the the biggest reason is actually because the credit growth has been um, slowing since um, mid-2013, but you usually have a three to four quarters lag. So that's why we we should start to see some impact in Q1 and and mostly in Q2, and especially that the government continues to put out more regulation targeting shadow banking and try to deliver the system. There must be consequences. Seems like everywhere you turn, you you get these um, horror stories about um, the amount of debt that is piled up in China. So that slower credit growth that you highlighted there for the second half of 2013, is that enough to ameliorate the problem in your view? Well, it is a start. It's actually a good start um, if we take a long-term view. Um, but I, I think right now um, the, the central bank is doing a reasonably good job keeping the interest rate high, so try to curtail some of the credit demand. 
But in China, the problem is uh, there is a, a, a segment of credit demand which is very insensitive to interest rate, which is the state-owned enterprises and local governments. So how the government going to contain that that part of the credit growth, which actually usually goes to less efficient projects? I think that is the key right now. And what about this latest data from the states, uh, the weaker jobs report Friday night, our time? Uh, what is uh, the impact or what is the outlook on Asia of that? Is it too is it a little bit too soon to say? Um, you know, I, I think um, I would agree that this may be just temporary because of the weather. Um, but overall, we, we all know that the Fed is going to keep the interest rate um, quite low for, for quite a long time. So for Asia, at least for the financial market, it's a good news. But if the U.S. doesn't recover as fast as we expect, then actually that's, that's more concrete news I mean, to the economy that the trade may not recover uh, soon enough. So what will you be watching the most closely this week? Um, closely this week, uh, I will be look, waiting for the um, China monetary data um, but to see whether, you know, how fast, whether the deleveraging still is there and uh, how's the money growth kind of, uh, you know, the, the bank loans and, and the money growth and, and particularly the total social financing. Okay, um, thanks very much for coming on the program. Sorry uh, that uh, uh, we cut it short, but we've got another segment to move on to. Wei, thanks very much. Wei Yao, China economist at Societe Generale. This is Money for Nothing. Time now, 20 minutes after 8 o'clock. And uh, we'll take this short break. Radio 3's docu-story series, spinning the tales of Asian cultures and communities. Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Radio 3. And a very good morning. Thank you for joining us here on Money for Nothing on Radio 3 on this Monday morning. Well, you might think that this could only happen in Hong Kong, but a group of entrepreneurs have banded together to launch an online marketplace for the buying and selling of used luxury goods. Think of it as a kind of luxury version of eBay. Well, joining us for this discussion is the founder and managing director of the e-commerce site, um, Alexis Zira. He's the founder and the site is called Luxify. Very good morning to you, Alexis. Good morning, Brian. Thanks for yeah, having yeah. me. Yeah, thanks for joining. Uh, okay, so good platform here for you to tell us uh, first what your company is all about. So uh, Luxify is an online marketplace uh, dedicated to the sale and um, purchase of pre-owned luxury goods. Uh, we launched the platform in uh, November 2013, and we are basically covering eight types uh, of products, uh, boats, motors, jewelry, fashion, handbags, uh, fine wines, and diamonds. It seems kind of counterintuitive. Uh, people want luxury because, you know, it's, it's special, it's expensive, it's nice, it stands out. Why would they want a used version of it? Well, basically... Uh, there is the stigma of um, uh, pre-owned luxury, uh, of uh, buying a pre-owned luxury item in Hong Kong, 
uh, as a reduce and more and more people are looking for uh, good price items. Uh, it's not only about price, it's also about bringing a unique and um, hard to find products. And uh, we uh, basically Luxify is uh, trying to find those products and bring them to uh, and bring them online. So would yachts and fancy sports cars be uh, a big portion of what you do? Uh, in terms of revenue, it is. But in terms of volume, uh, we are obviously you know uh, generating a lot of volume uh, through uh, items such as bags, uh, fashion items, uh, jewelries, etc., etc. So low, lower value, obviously. So you're not a, a first mover in, in terms of um, some of this because you've got companies like Milan Station that deal with uh, secondhand bags. Um, but how are you doing it that makes it in some way different, thus better? Well, first of all, um, uh, Milan Station, for instance, is, is uh, targeting mainly uh, mainland uh, buyers. Uh, and they are not only offering secondhand uh, goods. They are uh, selling brand new items at a discounted price. Uh, and we don't see, we don't really see them as a competitor, to be honest, uh, because we are target, targeting a very uh, different uh, type of people, uh, mainly Hong Kong-based uh, residents. Do you get involved in the payment systems, or do you leave that uh, to PayPal and others? Uh, we uh, we don't get involved. So at no point of time we touch uh, the products. We are just basically facilitating transactions, uh, and we we have different of options for uh, people to use. For example, using our online escrow accounts, PayPal. Uh, as well as dealing, dealing offline uh, using uh, so you know, you're, cash. So you're a broker in this sense. Uh, exactly. You don't make a market uh, yourself? In other words, um, you don't uh, have on hand some stuff that you've bought that you hope to sell. No, no. I mean, we what we do is on a quarterly basis, uh, we uh, we go abroad and find uh, unique products um, that we uh, auction ourselves. And that's the only time where we basically uh, touch the products. Otherwise, we are uh, just um, uh, facilitating, facilitating transaction online brokers. What gave you the idea that something like this might work? Uh, well, uh, I used to be, you know, I'm originally from France and I've been, uh, I've been uh, in Asia for quite a long time. And I used to be in Korea. I used to live in Korea. Uh, a few years ago, and and uh, the second-hand luxury market is very well developed in this market. It's the same in Japan, and we I saw that there was an opportunity to take this concept uh, to Hong Kong. And with the growing uh, growing trend in online sales, uh, I thought uh, this would be a good opportunity. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that. Um, we have heard a lot here of late about mm. online shopping, uh, particularly in China, particularly in Korea, Correct. Japan as well. Um, is this uh, kind of like a runaway train? Is it just going to get bigger and bigger and faster and faster? Of course, it's. Uh, I think it's going to get uh, bigger and, and uh, bigger. Uh, one of the reasons, obviously, is that um, uh, the high penetration of smartphone. Uh, so, so, for example, Hong Kong has one of the highest uh, smartphone penetration in Asia. And um, uh, strangely enough, there is uh, online sales have not online uh, sales. Sorry, have not been very uh, uh, fast if you compare to other developed markets in uh, in, in the region. So, uh, there's definitely an, an opportunity for growth in that uh, in this field. So it looks like a nice open field. Um, but what keeps you up at night? What uh, what are the main challenges you face? Uh, our main challenges is basically. Um, uh, competition, obviously, uh, you know, uh, uh, the online space is a very competitive market. There are a lot of um, uh, 
there are a lot of uh, established players, American uh, from in the US or Europe, uh, that could potentially enter the market. Uh, and the um, second uh, challenge is to find um, is to find people, um, you know, talented developers, uh, for instance. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, it's getting easier and easier to find uh, talented developers in Hong Kong, but it still uh, remains a challenge uh, because a lot of people don't choose uh, this career path here. And, uh, yeah, that's, that would be the two biggest challenges. So for a lot of young companies, um, you know, they, they face uh, startup capital. That's, a, that's a, a hurdle they need to get by. And there's also high rents. Um, yep. And, and there's also, you know, the difficulty in finding talent. You touched on that. It seems like with your kind of business, you don't need all that much space. Uh, so, you know, has it been an easy go? How long have you been doing this? And has it been relatively straightforward? Um, we've been, uh, I mean, I've been doing this, uh, we've been on this project for the past six months. It's not my online uh, startup. Um, I'm also involved in a couple, uh, couple of other businesses uh, as an investor. Uh, but... Um, it's been uh, relatively uh, easy uh, if you compare to two years ago when I did a similar project. Uh, one of the reasons is uh, there's uh, more and more co-working space in Hong Kong uh, that have been uh, that have been developed over the past two years. What do you mean about that co-working space? Well, co-working space is uh, are basically a place like an ecosystem for startup, uh, where um, like a startup incubator, if you know what I mean. And uh, that's basically, uh, that has been uh, helping us a lot in terms of uh, finding people, uh, getting an office, uh, recruiting. So does that mean Cyberport or Science Park for you? Cyberport, uh, you've got a place in Tinal called Cocoon, The Hive, um, and a few other places in Kaloon. And so it's, it's uh, you know, attracting people and it's uh, making it easier, of course, to set up. So, so you mentioned that um, talent is a is a challenge, but that it's getting better. What, what is leading to that? Why do you think that it's starting to become more attractive to hire developers here? Uh, because uh, obviously, you know, Hong Kong is a city driven, uh, which is uh, driven by the financial industry, if I may say. And, uh, you know, uh, times are tougher in, uh, in this industry. So it, I think it's uh, making uh, people um, change career path. Uh, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, a lot of uh, people I work with are ex-bankers who decided to run uh, their own business. So is more venture capital moving into Hong Kong? Exactly. exactly. Oh, really? And what yeah. about private equity? Um, I wouldn't say uh, private, uh, private equity uh, in the online space uh, because um, um, the scale of uh, their investment would be too low. Yeah, okay. All right, so, um, you know, if you, if you could just leave me with um, the path over the next, um, say, year, uh, how much of an increase... Can you kind of estimate that say, revenues and uh, and thus you know whether you make profit or not will be? Um, well, we we are on a good path to uh, break even, and uh, we th- uh, we think we'll become profitable uh, in quarter three of uh, two thousand and fourteen. Okay, so that means that um, you know you're not profitable at the moment, but no. by by uh, the latter part of this year you can get there. And what sort of a jump does uh, do you need to see in revenues for that to happen? Uh, we need to basically, uh, it's not really in terms of, um, I mean, we need to increase our revenue basically by about 30 to 40 percent. Uh, but we have uh, some plans uh, to, to do so uh, okay. in terms of bringing a special product onto the platform and uh, finding more partners. 
Okay, Alexis, uh, interesting to hear your story. Thank you. Thank you. Alexis Zira, co-founder and managing director of Luxify. Markets are, are performing like this. Australia is down at um, uh, 5305. That's off 10 points, uh, one-fifth of a percent lower. And the Kospi has moved a little bit higher. Well, the time is now 8.30, and that's the program for today. We'll just leave you with the weather. And I promise if I don't uh, get any better by tomorrow, I'll get somebody else to host this program. Thank you for um, obliging and sitting through. Cloudy today, cool this morning. I actually feel okay, but just the voice is gone. Mainly fine and dry. Maximum temperature, 17 degrees. News with Samantha Butler. Officials in the United States, the European Union and Iran say an agreement has been reached on how to implement a landmark nuclear deal. There'll be regular inspections by international experts of Iran's nuclear facilities beginning on the 20th of January. The BBC's Rob Broomby reports. The groundbreaking deal reached back in November was aimed at reining in the most controversial aspects of Iran's nuclear program in return for sanctions relief, and it had threatened to unravel. But welcoming the latest accord, President Obama said for the first time in a decade, the Islamic Republic had agreed to halt progress on its nuclear program. Iran has now agreed to limit those enrichment capabilities and even to downgrade some of its most highly enriched materials.